0: What if I could share with you the worst day of my professional life, without fear of judgment or ridicule and without loss of respect? Could we learn together from my experience?
1: Case Matters, a podcast series created expressly for Australian dental practitioners, intends to do just that, to create a shared experience where all points of view are explored to help empower safer practice. Hello. My name's Dr. Annaline Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection, and I'm going to guide you through today's case entitled, You Made Things Worse. It's a regrettable truth that sometimes things in the practice of dentistry don't go to plan. Many patients attend our practices with a high restorative burden, compromised periodontal health, complex medical histories, Pollocker Pharmacy, and a good dollop of dental apprehension to boot. All of our patients start as strangers to us, and with time, we get to know one another and build rapport and a therapeutic relationship based on mutual respect and trust. In time, many patients will even become friends to us, celebrating with us in our triumphs, such as the birth of a child, and commiserating with us in our losses. On a personal note, I was overwhelmed by the kindness of my patients when I recently tore my bicep and had to take some time away from the practice, as many went out of their way to wish me well, and they all showed such understanding about something which was to them, frankly, a massive inconvenience. But what about the bit before? Before the rapport has been built and the relationship of trust with our patients developed? This part of a therapeutic relationship carries the most risk for a dental practitioner, and it's well reported the more complaints arise from the first time a patient is treated than from any other appointment, as by then you already have established your relationship with that patient. So treating strangers carries more risk than treating patients we know, and today's case will help illustrate for us why. Many parties became involved in this specific matter, and everyone had an opinion but which point of view is correct? All of them or just some of them? And is there such a thing as the right point of view in this at all? Or could it perhaps be that everyone is a little bit right and a little bit wrong? We'll hear from the people involved and also look at the final outcome to see what lessons can be learned. Mrs. Taylor had a reasonably high restorative burden with large amalgams on all her posterior teeth. Over time, and unbeknownst to her, these had begun to creep, and Mrs. Taylor was experiencing some food packing as a consequence. She was finding it harder and harder to floss and felt like her mouth was never truly clean. Mrs. Taylor attended a multi centre, multi practitioner practice at which she got a preferential rebate, and she timed her visits in accordance with when the health fund would give the best rebates, not based on the dental practitioner's advice regarding the frequency on which she should attend. She saw many dental practitioners over time to get her teeth cleaned and had followed that pattern for many years. She began to get sensitivity from her lower right-hand side and called the practice for an appointment. She did not mention to the front office staff she had an issue, nor that she would like to see one practitioner in particular. The front office staff scheduled her in for the following week. Mrs Taylor? Well, a week does seem like a rather long time to wait, but I suppose she's all booked up. I wonder who she is. Mrs Taylor attended for her scheduled appointment and was called through by Dr Anderson, a male dental practitioner. What on earth is going on?
2: I've never met this man before. I saw my dentist call another patient through from the waiting room, so I know she's here. She didn't even acknowledge me, which is a bit rude, particularly when I'm sat here with a toothache. I feel very confused. Why am I not in with her? Isn't that why I had to wait to be seen? I haven't seen her the last couple of times, but I thought that was because she wasn't back from her maternity leave. It didn't matter that I saw those other ones for some cleaning, but this is different. This is a tooth problem.
1: I do hope he knows what he's doing. He did seem rather young. Dr Anderson noticed Mrs Taylor's reticence to enter the surgery, but was not unduly concerned as many patients would much rather be anywhere other than the dentist. He invited Mrs Taylor to take a seat, updated her medical history and then uttered the oft-repeated question, what can I do for you today? Dr Anderson, would you like to take over from here?
0: Mrs Taylor had an unremarkable medical history, with some menopausal medications and herbal over-the-counter remedies being the only items of note. She advised me that a tooth on the lower right-hand side had been aching on and off to cold. When asked, she confirmed that it wasn't keeping her up at night. Extraoral examination did not reveal any TMJ issues or lymphadenopathy, although Mrs. Taylor reports that she often wakes up with a tight jaw. She seemed surprised when I asked if she snored, and reported that she did, although she seemed very embarrassed by my question. Intraorally, Mrs. Taylor exhibited a heavily filled dentition with multiple old and pitted amalgam fillings. There was visible cracking around the amalgam fillings on teeth numbers one six one five one four, two six, two seven, three seven, three five, four six and four seven. She had sub and supragingival calculus and her PSR was twos in each sextant. She demonstrated bleeding on probing in quadrant four and also palatally around the upper posterior teeth, particularly interdentally. The soft tissue screen was clear. Although, I did note a patty score of 4. I asked Mrs. Taylor if I could take some bite wings to have a look under her old fillings. Unfortunately, these revealed that she had a large area of decay on her 4.5, at the contact point with the amalgam from the 4.6, having crept into dentally, causing a food trap. The 4.5 had been previously restored with a small occlusal amalgam. I checked the cracked teeth with a frac finder, and none were responsive, nor were any of her teeth TTP. Based on what I could see, I recommended that Mrs. Taylor have a routine, scaling clean. I also recommended that we treat the decay on tooth number 4-5, and consider replacing her old amalgams before the cracking became symptomatic. I advised her that the cracked teeth would likely need crowns at some point in the future. I advised her that the decay on tooth number four was close to the nerve and that the tooth may die and need root canal extraction in the future, and that if I had to root canal the tooth, Mrs. Taylor would also need a crown. We discussed the cracking and snoring, and I recommended that she have a sleep study to see if she suffered with sleep disordered breathing, as I suspected she did. Once we had the facts on this. We could then consider a mandibular advancement splint, if appropriate. I gave Mrs. Taylor ADA information sheets on tooth cracking, crown and bridge, and root canal treatment, and an estimate for the cost of a crown and the cost of the filling on 4-5. Mrs. Taylor gave me consent to proceed with the filling on tooth 4-5, as well as the scaling cleaning today.
1: That all seems to be very comprehensive. Is this how you conduct an examination the first time you meet a patient? Can you think of anything Dr. Anderson missed? And would you have made any different recommendations to those that he made? And what do you think is going to happen next? Uh, Dr. Anderson, did the treatment proceed uneventfully?
0: Yes, Annalene, I certainly thought so. I administered a cartridge of lignospan by IDB and undertook the scaling clean. As anticipated, there was a great deal of bleeding, especially interdentally, so I gave Mrs. Taylor a floss demo before we proceeded with the filling. The tooth was a little sensitive when I began to remove the decay, so I popped in another cartridge buckley, which Mrs. Taylor did find a little uncomfortable, and then completed the filling. The decay was deep, as we anticipated, but I did not expose the pulp. I restored the tooth with composite and checked the occlusion and contact. I profied her teeth and escorted Mrs. Taylor from the surgery, encouraging her to consider removing the old amalgams before the crowns became problematic. I warned her again that tooth number four five may die and then returned to my surgery to write my notes.
1: Mrs. Taylor waited at the front office numb and a little bit shaken. It had been a while since she'd had a local anaesthetic or a filling and she felt very cold and a little bit teary. She also felt embarrassed about Dr. Anderson talking about her teeth in front of the other patients in the waiting room. After what felt to her like a very long wait, Anna at reception invited Mrs. Taylor Forwards to settle her account. Anna, I sense something's awry here. What happened?
3: It was a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. I called Mrs. Taylor Forwards and I thought she looked a bit poorly, so I asked if she was okay. She muttered something like she was okay, so I smiled and asked her for her health fund card. Her health fund gave her a crummy rebate, barely anything really. So after the exam, bite-wing scale and filling, her gap was quite big. She seemed quite confused about the gap. I asked her how she wanted to pay and she got all flustered and said she needed to go away and come back. I emphasised our practice policy, that patients pay on the day, and offered to get my manager if there was a problem because I know that Jody can work out payment plans and stuff and maybe that's what Mrs Taylor needed. Mrs. Taylor got really agitated then and kind of shouted at me, which was really embarrassing. So I let her go. Jody came out to see what the noise was, as at about the same time a group of teenagers sat in the waiting room, watching some stupid videos and started laughing and hooting. I saw Mrs. Taylor look back over her shoulder. I bet she thought they were laughing at her.
1: Thank you, Anna. So we have Dr Anderson who feels all has gone well and he's certainly been thorough in his assessment and he seems to have given Mrs Taylor a broad range of options, the risks and benefits of these options, including the option of doing nothing regarding the cracked teeth. On the other hand, we have Anna who described her interaction with Mrs Taylor as being a bit of a nightmare. Perhaps then we should ask Mrs Taylor her view on this. I just don't know what to think. I knew I had a problem,
2: but he seemed to find so many things wrong. And why did no one tell me about them all before? I always go to that practice. Everything kind of got worse overnight. I hated the local anaesthetic. I don't like needles, so having two was awful. Then he gave me the wrong quote, which was really very strange because what was the point of telling me how much it was going to cost if he was going to lie? I have the high caps quote in my handbag and I've checked it again. It definitely only had one coat for the filling, and then he gave another one with a code for the crowns that he says I'm going to need. But the girl at reception put through a number of extra codes not on my quote when I went to pay. Is that even legal? And then about that crown, he said that I have nine teeth that would need them, and then maybe the one he worked on today. That's a lot of crowns and a lot of money for teeth that aren't hurting. He was quite a pushy young man, I thought. Barely old enough to be a dentist. I did wonder if he gave me two needles because he got the first one wrong. He did put them into different places which I thought was very telling. And the second one really hurt me. I wish I'd seen my dentist. I feel very cold and achy now and I don't think I've ever had two injections before. I wonder if I've reacted to the anaesthetic he used. Two does seem like a lot for a small tooth. But he did ask all those nosy questions about my menopause at the start, which was very embarrassing for a woman of my age to be telling someone who looked to be the age of my grandson. So surely he wouldn't make a mistake like giving me something I was allergic to after all those questions about my health. Worst of all, I wasn't sure if I had enough money in my account to pay the bill, as it was bigger than I expected and I don't get paid until next week. I work part-time now and I'm on my own so money can be tight, I felt so ashamed when the girl at reception said she would get the manager if I defied the policy and didn't pay, like I was some type of criminal. And then they all laughed when I left. All the other patients laughed at me because I didn't have enough money for my bill. It's hard on a single income. How could they judge me like that? This has far and away been the worst dental experience of my life. I need to lie down. I
1: just can't think about it right now. Are you surprised Mrs Taylor feels this way? And more importantly, do you think Dr Anderson would be surprised to know this? These types of miscommunications and misunderstanding can often occur. Anna is probably the only person who's realised Mrs Taylor is upset and also saw that Mrs Taylor reacted to the waiting room laughter. Perhaps one simple step here would be for her to forewarn Jody before someone calls Mrs Taylor about the outstanding account or maybe even tell Dr. Anderson, because he may wish to call Mrs. Taylor the next day to see how she's going. Regretfully, the practice got busy. One of the other staff was sick, so Anna had to cover extra work, and Mrs. Taylor simply slipped from her mind. Blissfully unaware, Dr. Anderson continued with his day. Mrs. Taylor experienced sensitivity again that night once the LA wore off, which she found odd, but she assumed that, like a bruise, the tooth needed to heal. Speaking of bruises, she developed a hematoma on her cheek where the buckle administration had been administered. In all the wealth of information she'd been given, Mrs Taylor did not recall Dr Anderson had warned her tooth number 4-5 may die due to the proximity of decay to the pulp. Quickly, tooth number 4-5 became very sensitive to her morning coffee, and then within 10 days, the dreaded night ache began. Mrs Taylor called the practice several times to schedule an appointment, but when Anna answered the phone each time, she hung up, sensitised from their previous interaction. With a pounding tooth, Mrs Taylor penned this email to the generic email on the practice's webpage. To whom it may concern, I'm writing to tell you about the terrible experience I had in your
2: clinic on Wednesday last week. Firstly, I had to wait a week for a toothache appointment, and not only do I think this is unacceptable... This goes against the pledge in your value statement on your web page. I saw a new dentist, Dr. Anderson, barely out of dental school, and not my regular dentist as I'd expected. He seemed to be more interested in making money, trying to get me to come back for nine crowns on teeth that are not hurting, and peppering me with information to make me agree to this. He was rough and made my gums bleed a lot, and I know this because he made me hold up a mirror whilst he patronised me by showing me how to floss. Like this is not something I've been doing throughout my entire adult life. He found a hole in my sore tooth and gave me an injection in the wrong place, so I had to have another. I reacted to the injection and was cold and unwell all night. The second injection was very painful and caused my cheek to bruise, which meant I had to take four days off work whilst it healed. Then, the receptionist put through several codes he had not quoted for, without my knowledge or my consent, which I believe to be fraudulent behaviour on her part. Naturally, I didn't have the funds to pay this huge gap and needed to go to the bank to transfer some money. The receptionist threatened me with the management, whatever that means, and then when I left, flustered, unwell, and ashamed, she incited the entire waiting room to laugh at me and my plight. As if this were not wicked enough, I'm now in agonising, excruciating pain with the tooth Dr. Anderson treated. Dr. Anderson made things worse, not better, and I demand compensation for my pain and suffering, time of work, and an apology, or I will have no choice but to contact the dental board and make a formal complaint. This is not the type of experience that any patient should suffer under your care, and I believe violated the core of your brand. I came to you for help, and you've made things worse in every way. I trust you will take appropriate steps
1: to discipline all of those involved. Head office passed the email along and ultimately, after four days, it arrived at the practice front office and was opened by Anna. Anna was upset by the email as she felt it an attack on her. She knew the complaint had to be acknowledged immediately and there was no evidence on the email chain that this had happened. So she penned this response and sent it out without checking with Jody or Dr. Anderson. Dear Mrs. Taylor, thanks
3: for your email. We'll look into it and get back to you. On a personal note, I did not get
1: everyone to laugh at you. Sincerely, Anna. Mrs Taylor had been anxiously checking her email for a response and quickly saw the email of reply. I have to ask, how did it make you feel? I've waited for days to hear back and get
2: this. I don't feel in any way reassured or listened to. I don't even know if they're taking the matter
1: seriously. Anna took the email to Jody, the practice manager, later that day. Jodie, what happens when a complaint is received? Well, we actually
4: have a protocol for managing complaints, although it wasn't particularly well applied here. Ideally, Anna would have brought to my attention that Mrs Taylor had seemed confused and upset after her appointment, so I could have reached out to her in a TLC call. That would have also let us know that the tooth wasn't settling down, which would have been important information for Dr Anderson to know. I see from his notes that he placed a large filling and warned of possible need for root canal treatment, but that doesn't tie in with her complaint at all. So now we have an upset patient, upset enough to complain, in pain, who thinks we've misled her, performed the incorrect treatment, and charged inappropriately. It is so lucky that I didn't call her about her outstanding account yet. That would have made things so much worse.
1: That's an excellent summary of the facts, Jodie. So what steps will we now be taken? First of all, we need to
4: acknowledge the complaint, which I see Anna has done. It's not a great response, but it could have been worse. Ideally, however, she would have set a timeframe in which Mrs Taylor would get a definitive response. But no matter, Dr Anderson is in today, so I'll be able to speak to him promptly and get back to the patient quite swiftly. I need to talk about this with Dr Anderson. I will wait until lunchtime so I don't make him run late. I think I'll go and grab him some lunch from the food court. Maybe one of those wraps he likes, to be sure he gets lunch, as I don't know how long it will take for us to discuss this. Then he can let me know how he wants to proceed. In the meantime, I'll speak to Anna to find out what's happened after the appointment and also see if she can shed any light on the regular dentist part. As Mrs Taylor saw Dr Lee three times, But other than that, she's seen someone different each time.
1: That all sounds very sensible, and I'm glad to hear that Jodie is thinking of Dr. Anderson's needs. We have very little downtime in practice, and it's important that we do use this time wisely to refresh and refuel, or we're starting our afternoon patients tired, drained, and hungry, and this is not a recipe for success. Jodie arranged to speak to Dr. Anderson after his last morning patient. They sat in her office to ensure privacy. Let's see how Dr. Anderson responds.
0: I'm a bit confused, to be honest. In all fairness, I can see that putting the filling codes only on the high caps quote could have been confusing for Mrs. Taylor, so I accept that. I don't know about this laughing business, but Jodie explained to me what Anna said about that group of kids, so this is easily explained, I guess. But what about the deep filling? I told her that this might happen. I showed her the x-ray and talked her through all her options. I thought I explained it really well, and she said that she understood. I haven't made things worse. The whole point of the treatment was to make things better. And, if the tooth is dying, that's because of the decay, not because of what I did. This feels really unfair. But, I know I need to get this fixed. I am confident that any formal complaint she may make, would be dismissed as my notes are really good. But that doesn't help me if she leaves me bad reviews. And to be honest, once I calm down a bit, I know that ignoring this or becoming angry won't help her either. She's upset and she's in pain. I have a duty of care to her.
1: Dr. Anderson called Dental Protection to seek some advice on the next possible steps and the dental legal consultant had the following to say.
5: Dr. Anderson contacted us for advice, providing a copy of his records for our review. By and large, the assessment he undertook was comprehensive, and his records clearly reflect the discussions that he had with Mrs. Taylor. Dr. Anderson acknowledges that there was some confusion surrounding the high caps quote, and that all of the codes for that day ought to have been included to avoid any confusion of this nature. When asked about the disconnect between the conversation he believes he had with Mrs Taylor and her understanding of this as evidenced in her letter, Dr Anderson remained confused about how such a misunderstanding occurred. Pleasingly, however, rather than taking an aggressive or defensive stance, Dr Anderson indicated to me that he wanted to work this matter out with Mrs Taylor, not because he feared a formal complaint, but simply because he thought it was the right thing to do. I suggested that they invite Mrs Taylor to the practice for a meeting to talk through her concerns. I gave him some advice on how best to approach this, including that it was best undertaken in a private space with a calm chaperone for him, such as Jodie, the practice manager, of whom he speaks very highly. It would also be appropriate to invite Mrs Taylor to bring a support person too if she wishes. Critically, this needs to happen soon as Mrs Taylor is in pain and needs treatment. Dr Anderson queried the outstanding account and future fees as he had sought advice from colleagues and had been told on one hand not to charge her and on the other, that waiving any fees or apologising would be seen by the patient as an admission of liability, so he must not do it under any circumstances. I advise Dr Anderson that while he was not liable for Mrs Taylor's pain, some practitioners do consider waiving or discounting fees as a gesture of goodwill, and that neither a discount nor an apology can be regarded as an admission of liability. We talked through the conversation, what to do if things started to go wrong, how to talk through Mrs. Taylor's records with her, and Dr. Anderson was confident he could have had the conversation with Mrs. Taylor. Jody called Mrs. Taylor to schedule an appointment that afternoon. Now naturally, Mrs. Taylor was initially reluctant. However, Jody had done some additional training in complaints management and had the skills to smooth things over and schedule the appointment.
1: Mrs. Taylor attended and ultimately had the tooth extirpated that appointment. She chose to pay her outstanding account and scheduled for the completion of the root canal treatment. I'm going to ask each of the other three people who attended what they thought, starting with Jodie. Well, my role was to
4: chaperone and to take notes of the discussion. I kept Anna away from the reception as I didn't want to escalate things before we'd even begun. Mrs. Taylor was quite antsy at the start of the appointment, but Dr. Anderson was wonderful so calming and reassuring. He let her speak and really listened to her, then talked through everything. She agreed to have the tooth extirpated and he offered to do it at no charge as a gesture of goodwill. She declined and wanted to pay, which really surprised me as I thought that money was an issue for her. It seems that I was wrong. She left really happy. For my part, I apologised for the delay that it took to get back to her and I advised to contact me directly with any future concerns to avoid delays. I gave her the practice specific email address so she could do that. I also passed on Anna's apologies and explained about the teenagers and their video. She was really understanding. When I took her out to reception, I could see Anna shuffling about in the background and nodded at her to come out as I could see that she really wanted to. Anna apologized to Mrs Taylor and they both got a bit teary. I thought they were going to hug. So all's well that ends well, it seems.
1: Thank you, Jodie, and it does sound like a good resolution. How did you feel about it, Dr. Anderson?
0: So very relieved. I'm so glad I didn't have to worry about it for days before I saw her. I did what the dental legal consultant said and really listened to Mrs. Taylor, even though I didn't agree with everything she said. She let me show her the x-ray and my records. And... I apologized for giving her a high-caps quote that didn't include all of the codes. I also told her I was sorry that the tooth had died, and reassured her that I had done my best. She was so nice about it, and then I treated her. I hope she doesn't get a hematoma again, but I explained that too, and she advised me that she bruises really easily, and now she knows she won't be alarmed if it happens again. I understand why she would feel I had made things worse. And I hope that now she sees I was only trying to make things better. Some of my colleagues think I'm crazy to keep treating her, but at the end of the day, we had a misunderstanding and now it's resolved. So why would I refuse to treat her? I'm just glad she's out of pain and I think we'll all sleep well tonight.
1: And finally, how did Mrs. Taylor feel?
2: To be honest, I still feel quite embarrassed as I now see that I've made a bit of a fuss over nothing. I do want to keep seeing Dr. Anderson, though, as he was so thorough in his examination of me, and I now understand that he was giving me all of the information regarding my cracked teeth so I can plan for the future. This will really help me budget. He really listened, and he was so genuine and humble. I've spoken to Jodie, and she said that she will make sure Dr. Anderson is my regular dentist going forwards. And I've called my health fund to change my level of cover, so I can get some decent contribution from them for the root canal treatment and crowns. And Dr Anderson says we can even consider doing one a year, which will be a big help. Look, I'd rather have not had this awful toothache, but I understand that it relates to the big hole, and not that Dr Anderson did something to make things worse. He offered to waive the fee, but I didn't want that. He did the work, and I'm not going to shortchange him, because that would be wrong. It was nice of him to offer, though. He's a true gentleman. Anna at reception came out at the end. I felt a bit sorry for her, she seemed very upset. There's a lesson there for her about being a bit glib in her interactions, I think, and I hope it's one she can take. She seems like a nice girl. The local anaesthetic has worn off, and the tooth feels marvellous now.
1: I think I'll sleep well tonight. All truly is well that ends well, it would seem, and I'll hand over now to Mike to talk with us through the learning points on this matter.
5: Well, I'm glad that worked out as well as could have been hoped for for everyone. When first talking to Dr. Anderson, I couldn't help but be concerned about the amount of information and treatment being given to Mrs. Taylor at the first visit. While everything that Dr. Anderson did would be considered good practice, it can be overwhelming for a patient such as Mrs. Taylor, who is hoping and expecting to have her toothache resolved. Perhaps it may have been better to simply resolve the toothache and leave the exam, clean and treatment planning for a later appointment. Easy to see in hindsight, of course, but a reasonable protocol to have in place for new patients. It is sometimes tempting for us, if we have sufficient time, to fill all of that time we have with treatment. Mrs Taylor obviously felt that she had a rapport with Dr Lee, and so perhaps Dr Lee could have provided exactly the same treatment as Dr Anderson, but with a very different outcome, simply because the trust was already in place through Mrs. Taylor's past experience with Dr. Lee. There also appears to have been a few systemic practice issues that Dr. Anderson may not even have been aware of. Firstly, confirmations. In a group practice, having the receptionist stating to the patient the name of the dentist they will be seeing at the time of appointment is a simple check device. Also, conveying to both the patient and the dental practitioner, the purpose of the appointment is helpful. If Mrs Taylor was aware that an exam, bite wings and a clean were to be done, or may be done, as well as a relief of pain, she may well have prepared for this financially and so not have been embarrassed. Secondly, a quote for likely costs on the day. This can be difficult, but an indicative cost can usually be given initially by the front desk, but also by the treating dental practitioner, as this forms part of the consent process. Any quote should also include an explanation of the item numbers that will be used as part of processing a high caps claim. This is a common area of patient concern. For example, a complex restoration such as a 535 coding may also include the use of 2577 cusp capping codes, making three codes in total. The patient involved may well think they have had one filling. Why three codings? A simple explanation of the reason can resolve any unvoiced concerns the patient may have. Thirdly, while this practice group appeared to have sound complaints management protocols, there were problems with this being followed through. Patients generally don't like generic or corporate responses unless they are quickly followed up by a personalised response. On that note, patients expect to hear from the person who treated them. So as tempting as it may be to let a third party deal with the complaint, generally a better outcome is attained when the dental practitioner personally responds. And finally, don't be scared to talk to patients after they complain. It's a tough conversation to have. But generally speaking, an early discussion leads to a better outcome. Good complaints management can sometimes lead to some of our most loyal patients.
1: Thank you so much for setting that out for us, Mike, and thank you all for joining us today. And I do hope you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Case Matters. The cases discussed in Case Matters are presented as an educational aid to dental protection members and to act as a risk management tool. They're based on issues arising in dental protection cases in Australia, and some facts have been altered to preserve confidentiality. If you like Dental Protection Podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.